shall we all talk in British accents? Yeah. We fully derailed this conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. I'm Nellie. And I'm Pate. I am so excited about this week's episode because this show has been one of my most favorite quarantine binges. We're talking about another Netflix original, The Crown. Based on an award-winning play by showrunner Peter Morgan, The Crown chronicles the life of Queen Elizabeth II from the 1940s to modern times. The series begins with the early reign of the queen, who was crowned at age 27 after the death of her father, King George VI. I don't know that I always know those number things. <laughs> those number things. Like Roman numerals. Roman numerals. Wow. That's why I can never watch the Super Bowl. Finally, uh, one thing. I had Nelly then. Yeah, this is my thing. Pate can't pronounce anything, and I can't read Roman numerals. Um, but I got it right, so I actually can. This historical fic- fiction drama chronicles personal intrigues, romances, and political rivalries that played a big role in events that shaped the later years of the 20th century. The show stars Claire Foy, Olivia Coleman, and so many more, and we're excited to delve into the show today. We are thrilled to be joined by two of our dear friends for our guests this week, Emily Stone and our first returning guest, Sam Young. Emily was Nellie and my sweet maid our senior year at Swanee and is currently an AmeriCorps Vista in Swanee, Tennessee. She's a huge dog lover, Houston enthusiast, and expert on the royal family. Side note, she dressed up as Queen Elizabeth for Shake Day. So if that shows you anything about her dedication to the crown. We're happy to have Sam back for our episode on the crown. And if you can remember him from episode 13, Sam is the campus activities coordinator at Swanee. He's a Pisces. He has a cat named Hildy. Is that correct? And loves taking long walks to Morgan Steep. And if you like what you hear this episode, be sure to check him out on our episode on The Devil Wears Prada. Thanks so much for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. So happy to be with our crown queens again. Oh, I just love British royalty. <laughs> I'm so excited. This is going to be a chaotic episode, but I'm here for it. Um, as always, please stick around till the end of the episode for action items from us. And don't forget to follow us here on Spotify and, our, and on our Instagram at Feminist Fiends so you never miss an episode. Now, without further ado, let's dive into The Crown. Also, side note, again, Sam is literally the, like, the host this week or the host adjacent because he deadass wrote all of these questions, um, which he also basically did for our Devil Wears Prada episode. So he's really doing the most as one of our guests. Um, and let it be known that Pate binged the entire series in the last two weeks because she's that dedicated to the cause. I believe she finished today. Is that correct? Yes. And it was tough. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. But I watched it, this in a very I'm, short amount of time, too, earlier in the winter. And it was, like, the sort of thing where we had talked about how we were going to watch this. And I was like, bet. I will, I will watch the entire thing in this week. Um, so here we are. It's definitely worth the watch. I understand that. And once you get past the first four episodes of season one, you're in. Yeah, Emily said to me when I said I was going to start watching, I remember, Emily, you said to me, you were like, it's slow moving at first, but trust me, it's worth it. And boy, were you right. Um, <laughs> More than worth it. More than worth it. Um, so we're going to dive like right into some of these questions again, uh, credit to Sam himself. So <laughs> he's ready to go. Um, but how is emotion vulnerable and vulnerability and its expression portrayed in the crown, especially with the women in the show? Okay. Well, um, what I was just going to say is that, um, Queen Elizabeth, you really see how she has to put the duty of being the crown ahead of any emotions that she has um and she does that like 
in all aspects of her life, in her marriage, in her relationship with her sister, um, as a mother, she is always kind of, you can maybe sometimes see in a few episodes where she wants to like follow her emotions or like lean into her emotions, but she always reminds herself that um, like her personhood is a duty and it's kind of like stunning to watch, but it's also, I think, a super accurate portrayal of how Queen Elizabeth really is. Yeah, I really think she understands that her position as queen and being basically the physical embodiment of the of the UK and like all of the different um, places that they are and and whatnot um, is it forces her to to understand that her actions are all inherent inherently political. Um, whatever she does, wherever she goes, it's always going to be scrutinized as though it is coming from the United Kingdom from from Britain. Um, so I, I think she has to be very careful with with every single person that she talks to. And I think that's why she seems so unattached, um, especially to her children, um, is that she has to be, um, or else she will be seen as something, um, or seen, seen almost, as, <laughs> it's almost like she's afraid to be seen as a woman. She, because she has to be this kind of like neutral ground. So she can't even be maternal, I feel like, to her children, um, to the point that they're kind of, messed up <laughs> um but it's but it's all because she is in service to the crown yeah i mean this is something i was thinking about too and i realized that i didn't know i realized how little i knew about the british monarchy before watching this i'm not um I now I feel like i have a level of obsession with it since watching but not the way that folks like Emily did before the crown. Well, I don't know. I don't want to assume, but I think that that you've been very much into it since before this series was even a thing. Yes, that's true. Okay, cool. I didn't want to assume, but I did. I simply did assume. But um, I think that like I've learned so much about what you what you both have articulated, and how that like regardless of gender in this case, the crown is um, is a woman, and how the crown is expected to remain kind of objective on issues and not overly expo- expose their emotions. And I think this goes against our societal expectations of women, or at least the box that we put women in, and how we expect them to not be able to control their emotions. And honestly, it's pretty shocking to me that this has been the argument, like the main argument used against women, um, particularly female candidates in the US, I mean, all over the world, but I, I think that's my level of understanding is, is in the U S context, because it's pretty clear that there has been a pretty reserved, a woman who's remained relatively objective and reserved in a position of power for over 60 years being the queen. And, um, it's clear that vulnerability in the case of Charles is incredibly frowned upon. And I, I know that, um, I definitely want to touch on a little bit, like kind of the toxic masculinity that is present in the show because um, his vulnerability is uh, really shoved down in particular by his father. And in my opinion, this leads to like his abusive relationship with Diana and things like that. And just, and I I think that that is a perfect kind of like, we get a full against, this is very much spoilers. So, but like, I think we get, like, we see that whole trajectory. It's, like, foreshadowing his experience as a child really foreshadows what what we'll see in his adult relationships or just his, his adulthood, like, the way in which he interacts with anyone and the expectations that are put on him. Again, I'm not trying to, like, empathize with him because I think he is the worst at times, but I do, I, I do think it's important that we see his his childhood. And I know, Pate, that you, you touched on this a little bit in your notes. So. Yeah. I mean, I was gonna, no. If you want to talk about something else, go nuts. Talk about a little bit about this, but I was going to save a little bit for when we talk about his relationship with Diana, because um, one of the benefits of binging this series is I just recently watched season one and two and like the 
of him having to go to that horrible boarding school is fresh on my mind. And I've always like only kind of had one perspective of him and Diana's relationship, which is pro Diana. I'm obviously team Diana. She's um, a princess. And I like hated Charles because he was an abuser and he was a terrible husband. Um, however, not um, excusing any of that, but this perspective really was really eye-opening to kind of the culmination of who he is as a person, a father, and a husband was to his family was because of his upbringing. And um, that was just kind of helpful for me to be able to check myself and be like okay like these are real humans and like yeah like this explains why he acted the way he did obviously not excusing it but it was really helpful for me to be able to understand like the whole picture of Philip's Prince Philip's upbringing as well as Prince Charles's upbringing um and it was really hard for me to watch like little baby Prince Charles having to go through that awful experience and then being yelled at by his father in an airplane about not being manly enough um and so i just feel like that's something we often forget about um when thinking about the royal family as a whole and um and really like the cycle of abuse there like that yeah that, that really like you just articulated that so well i think like the like how Philip's upbringing affected his, his, how he raised Charles and, and so on and so forth. Like it really does continue and I think snowball. Um, and obviously that's something that we have other examples of in both pop culture and in society in general, but I, I don't think we could ever have enough of them because I think it is so common, unfortunately. And I think that's a good leeway into the second question, which is about like, as society, do we allow our leaders to be emotional or vulnerable? And then to, you know, maybe in that answer, think about an example of a time when you have seen a president or another person in power be vulnerable. Because as someone who is super emotional, I, it kind of frustrates me sometimes on the crown when they just shut down their emotions. And I'm like, how can you function as a human? Um, I can never be a royal. Like, I cry too much. Um, so I'd love to hear what y'all have to say on the matter. What's going to happen when Mercury goes into retrograde and hates in the royal family? What were you singing? I, I just like cue it in my mind, that song, Royals by Lord or whoever. Oh, I can that. never be royal, Lord. Like put that on my tombstone. I would be a great princess, for, like in some circumstances, but I would be a terrible like queen. Understandable. But a quarantine um, queen, nonetheless. That's true. Nellie, you, your notes about the importance of having an emotional, not intact leader, but like I just said, for so long, I've had a problem when leaders don't show vulnerability and emotion. Um, but then you made an excellent point about our previous president, Trump, 45, um, but hopefully by the time this, hopefully by the time this airs, he's officially impeached. I really he just manifest that. He is okay, officially, but he, there's still more steps in the process. Oh. No, but he's been impeached. He just hasn't been convicted. Yes. Period. No, but that's, that already happened. Yeah, but <laughs> I think he's being impeached a second time. Now McConnell's on our side. And now I'll be less likely to, I'll be less likely to throw a party when he dies. I still will be happy, but less likely to throw a party, you know? Yeah. I won't That's keep so that. kind it's of you. Now, so you? all over the place. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm just a giver. Um, Good person. Do you want me to but read like, my response? Well, I was just going to say, I've never thought about it in that terms of like, we actually do at some point need an emotionally stable president. Because when we look to our leaders, they're supposed to be like, I don't want to say a reflection of strength, but almost that, like kind of, we need someone who's going to be strong for the country in times of like hardships. And we don't need a president who's having a meltdown on Twitter every five minutes. Yeah. I mean, I think like the thing that the, the quality of emotion that I, I am particular I'm looking for in a leader is like empathy and I, 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 I do think that the queen has that, but she's still expected to suppress that a little bit from my understanding of the crown. And in the case of our, 
of 45. Um, he like completely lacks empathy. There's been psychological studies on it. Um, and so, but I do think that vulnerability, it's interesting, um, Sam, and I appreciate that you kind of have asked this question in conjunction with each other, because I think emotion is something that we talk about so negative, negatively, especially in the case of politics. But I do think that like the, it does go hand in hand with vulnerability. And I find vulnerability, particularly in my experience, just even in a smaller level when folks in positions of power have, have shared something, have a um, shared something vulnerable. It's been so powerful to me because I think it does convey that that element of empathy. Um, and I do find empathy to be, uh, I don't know, this is, this is expressing my own bias, so I'm naming that. But I think I, I find that to be a relatively a positive, like stereotypical feminine quality. And I do find it to be like maternal and things like that. Like, obviously, I don't want to continue putting women in boxes. But I do think that like, that maternal instinct in particular and something that the queen is like asked, like, like y'all named asked to kind of work against. Um, but I do think that that empathy is really, really important in a leader. Um, but I do find that in like emotion and like temper tantrums and things like that. I mean, it's been pretty clear that like, like last week's insurrection by the time this airs, it'll be nearly two weeks ago. Um, was like evident that emotion um is a negative thing particularly when it's done uh from a hateful a hateful place um but anyway i'm going in a full different direction i would love to hear y'all's thoughts on um on like how we allow leaders to be emotional and vulnerable and in particular if you'd like to touch on our current precedent but of course unfortunately our current president hopefully not <laughs> and very soon not to be so yeah i mean i think in the case of especially like trump and um margaret or well I, of trump let's, let's go with trump first so i think that i agree that public figures should not like be quick to broadcast all their emotions i think we saw with like how trump used, or 45 used twitter it was just very problematic um very it, it just caused problems. <laughs> like it was problematic. It was toxic. It was manipulative of the, of the public. I think it was all just like stupid. Um, but I think that showing empathy and being intentional about what we're going to say is a sign of emotional intelligence. And I really think that's something that's important about a leader. I think we saw that in our King Obama, our love, Obama. Michelle Obama, please come back. I love you. This is a cry for help. Um, please come back. What's that song like? Oh, I'm Maybe come back to me. Come back. Nicole, I was Vanessa about Hudgens game. Oh, y'all. I was thinking about Gary come back from SpongeBob. <laughs> <laughs> I also thought of Vanessa Hudgens. I don't know which one's more embarrassing. Oh my God. Me. Definitely. <laughs> Michelle Obama, come sing back. A few, sing a few bars of Gary, come back for us. Yeah. You know, it's like Gary, come home. <laughs> I'm sorry. Us being on. like Michelle, come home. She's what so about weird. like right. if it was like Texas, like Sandy on SpongeBob, where she's like, I want to go home. That's how we're so. We've officially spiraled. <laughs> um. It, anyway. I think that both Margaret Thatcher and Trump were not emotionally intelligent leaders. Um, and I think that really comes down to the fact that they both came from a place of privilege when they came into their positions. They didn't have to suffer. They didn't have to understand people. They just assumed that they would get the positions because of who they are. Um, and I think that's just disgusting and like complete, and it, it, it's just unfair. And I think ultimately to be a feminist, we have to be able um, to be humans and allow for others to live a life that is filled with opportunity um, and not shame or oppression. And I, I think that neither of them fit into that worldview. So um, I definitely, if you, I think I thought of the queen as being harsh or more harsh originally and like still do kind of have a little bit of that feeling not not even harsh I guess just like a little hardened but then when you put her next to Margaret Thatcher 
in season four, you're like, oh, wow, Queen Elizabeth is actually, although she's not putting her emotions on display for the whole world to see, she can still make decisions with empathy to an extent. I mean, not completely, obviously, but like she is able to have her decisions come from a place of understanding um, and kind of like using that emotional intelligence, not to a degree with um, everyone else in the world, perhaps, but I think to her own degree as the strongest or the, what is it? The most famous woman in the world, the most powerful woman in the world. Sorry, couldn't think of the word. Um, And yes, in the apartheid episode where she really wanted the UK to, um, I guess, signal that they were on the sides of the African leaders and the, and then Margaret Thatcher was like, no, we're not going to do that. Um, And so like in Thatcher's case, she wasn't even coming from a point of emotional understanding at all. It was all just you know, what's going to do well for the money, like, what's going to do, um, like, we should just completely avoid emotional topics altogether, which is kind of a tricky situation to be in, or not tricky situation, but um, kind of a bad pigeonhole, I suppose, um, to put in as a country, because obviously there are decisions that need to be made that have to be emotional. Yeah, no, I I think we saw that, especially in season one with um, Winston Churchill in the hospital episode when um, the smog came down. He was this, like, a powerful leader who really understood how the um, British people were feeling, and and they needed somebody that was going to be a light. They needed somebody who was going to be um, looking out for them, and... I think we see Margaret Thatcher in, in contrast, the iron, literally the Iron Lady, as she's been nicknamed, um, because uh, she, she's just so un- uncompromising. Um, and I, I think empathy has a lot to do with seeing other people's perspectives and compromising based on that and um, determining the needs of the, of the people. And I just think she just was never able to be vulnerable, um, but still in in some ways tried to perpetuate stereotypes of women, especially when it came to um, being the housewife and subservient to um, the husband, which was, again, icky. Like insisting that she unpack for her husband instead of like the servants, which at first I was like, oh my God, that's so nice. She wants to do it. She doesn't want the servants to do work, but no, no, no. It's because she saw it as like her duty as a woman. Which I was like, mm-hmm, okay. I was like, I think it really like speaks to the question of whether or not it's a like a sign of progress to have a woman in power because I do think it, I I feel as though it's not always a sign of progress to have a woman in power, especially if that woman doesn't have access to a proper education and her power is more of a formality, and that's more so the sake of the in, in the sake of the queen. Um, in the case of Margaret Thatcher, she was. Yeah, like we said, very much like she didn't have any kind of, she was like the only woman in the room, but she didn't have any kind of like feminist agenda or moral, like moral high ground in terms of like women's liberation. And she also like very much played into these like typical house housewife stereotypes or just like roles. And um, this is a note that I made, but she like reminded me of like the British version of Phyllis Schlafly, which if you listen to our very first episodes, that was that we talked about that in Mrs. America and I'm hoping that we'll come back to that series eventually um, just to stay true to our roots. But I, I do think that it's women who have the patriarchy so deeply embedded and like in them that they don't even like realize the ways in which they're harming themselves by. Um, and I don't mean to shame um, in this means, cause I think it, it very much is a societal issue that like this is so deeply ingrained in, I mean, I have internalized patriarchy and misogyny and things like that for sure, even if I'm keenly aware of it. Um, But it's definitely an issue. So I think this is a good transition into a question that you wrote for us, Sam, um, which is what did you think the contrast between Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana's plot lines and how 
do you think their stories may be similar? And I think it's pretty interesting that we, we see these plot lines in parallel with one another through the series. So I'm excited to hear what y'all think about this. Um, yeah, I, I was just thinking about this question because like we both see these women who kind of get this like quick rise to stardom. I mean, obviously being the prime minister and a princess is going to force you to be in the spotlight, but like, it, it just seems like we, we have these two kinds of views of these women based on like, um, how they are, um, put into the story. Um, but on both sides, we kind of see them, um, being isolated, um, by the crown. Um, I'm going to start something. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but both of them, I feel like are, are isolated by the Royal family in a lot of ways. I think we see that in the Balmoral test, um, with Margaret Thatcher, you know, she tries to be this woman who, um, can talk the talk and walk the walk with all of them, but, she is just so uncompromising in herself and just so herself that she doesn't know how to do that um, and how to literally talk to people. I'm like, excuse me, have you ever talked to a single person other than yourself? Um, but then, then we see like with Diana, like she is, um, she, although she like kind of rises to stardom in the Royal family, everyone loves her. You know, Charles has chosen her, which is like icky both start to like crumble bit by bit, bit by bit. Bit by bit. <laughs> that pops out. Um, I, yeah, just any time of the day, my Southern accent, my, my roots will show. Georgia roots. Yeah, your roots are showing, your little Georgia peach. <laughs> um, anyway, but yeah, I, I just think that both of them came into their positions with certain assumptions and expectations. And then when those were challenged, they started to feel even more alienated. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's wild. Um, and I, I think by the end of it, both of them just feel kind of like crushed. They're like, I, I came here thinking that I was going to like change something or be something. And my reality has completely been destroyed. <laughs> and I, I think we see that really in the final shot with Diana at the Christmas party after she talked to Philip and basically dragged her to hell, which I was like, why would you do that to her? Our little queen princess Peach, don't touch her. Okay, I really thought too that they were gonna like that they have this like special friendship because when they go to Balmoral right when they go they have like they go hunting together and it seems like the sweet thing and then and I also think that like he very much had to overcome a ton of adversity by coming into the royal family so I kind of thought that he would have this empathy for her and he simply did and I was like okay why there's just so much so so many um feats I guess that that folks need to I don't know overcome when when entering this family dynamic and it's sad to me that the outlaws or the in-laws can't be like on each other's sides but Emily I'd love to hear your thoughts if you have them um yeah I was just gonna say I think it's um an interesting uh I think it's interesting that they showed both Margaret Thatcher and Diana's experiences at Balmoral because um like Margaret Thatcher was like too hard like she was too intense and diana on the other hand was like too relaxed almost maybe not at balmoral how do you say it balmoral i i keep wanting to say balmoral Balmoral. um but they um yeah they it's just kind of like this thing where they're like oh look we're kind of being this fun family dynamic like we're we're chill like we go hunting for stags and we you know drink at night and play games we're just like everybody really (laughs) but really at the end of the day it is still like such a an intense um not relationship but just um what's the word i'm looking for it's an intense dynamic dynamic thank you that's the word exactly um it's an intense dynamic where you can be having fun and whatever but the you still need to be doing everything so that 
the queen is like not even the center of attention but that you're not distracting from her um which is just such a i think i think kind of a hard realization when um you know you're taken away from london you're taken away from buckingham palace you think oh like in diana's case i mean you she thinks oh like this is you know she had such a positive positive experience the first time when they're all excited and she was kind of like you know potentially gonna be the one for charles and they really put on this show of like oh yeah we're like a fun loving family like this isn't you know it's it's different when we're out here than when we're um like in our roles in london um and so diana also kind of played into that like she was like oh yeah i can chill i can have fun out here like in the countryside um and then obviously flash forward and it that's just not the case it's the dynamic is always like that it's not you know you can't it's intertwined with the family dynamic is intertwined with the dynamic of the crown and of the royal family and of the duties um and i think you know as the as season four goes on you kind of see diana crushed by that where she's like okay this isn't a family this is going to be all work and no play um and even when it seems like play it's really work yeah i think that's the hardest part for me was watching how Diana like went from being like excited and like Charles seemed excited and and the family seemed excited and then you kind of slowly see it get like dehumanized and stripped away and she realizes that the the whole time she was just kind of being used as a pawn um also she was so young she was so young I mean that's crazy (laughs) and he was how old he's 10 years older literally I I was 13 or maybe 13, yeah. yeah. He's a lot older. Yeah, like, he was, like, in his 30s. And she yeah, was, like, he was, like, 32, and she was 19. That's simply yeah. scary. Yeah. Wait, it's... my parents were 14 years apart, but they're actually Okay, but... Okay, so... but... Okay, and not there's royal. nothing wrong with an age gap, but I do think with this kind of power dynamic, it's pretty alarming, I will say. You're right. Yeah. Wait, and it would be quick. one thing if they were, like, truly in love, but, like, everything compounded together. I, I definitely know plenty of successful couples that have, like, a decade age difference, and we stand if you have a healthy dynamic, but I just yeah. think that, like, in this case, I was like, oh my gosh, like... I feel like for me, it like sends off like a warning signal signal. And if it doesn't like, if I don't see improvement, I, well, at first I was like, oh, it's so cute. And I remember texting Sam and him being like, is it though? And I was like, maybe it's not. And then it wasn't. So I don't know. And then Wait, it wasn't. <laughs> out of the four of us, who would do the best at, what's it called? Belmoral. 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 I honestly think I do a pretty good job. I'm not going to lie. Who would but do I would the worst. not have good outfits. I, I honestly think I would do a super good job. I think Emily would do the best. I feel like it's I kind would. of ranch vibes, you know, like everyone's yeah, chilling. Yeah. People also like get dressed up at night. I feel um, like it's like I'm, ranch combined with like I think since you've been through the Deb scene, like I think the combination of the two. Mm. I'm simply a northerner who wore Toms to frats, so I don't think I would do very well. <laughs> but I do know how to schmooze with people. So um, okay. if Swanee taught me anything. <laughs> Um, was Emily I just think be part of the royal family then? Yes. Texan has a ranch. Has good Emily, manners. Emily did have a British accent as a child. I think that's important. Emily also lived in England. That's why she had a British I, We should accent. tell the followers, to the listeners. I did live in London for two years. My grandfather is from England. So that makes me a quarter British. Um... Um, anyways, when I lived in London, I did have a British accent. So. Oh my god, little Emily, we were the little baby London English accent. So cute. Queen. I would just straight up be bad at, like, if they were like, oh, it's 5.30 and you need to go, like, walk for four hours and shoot <laughs> a deer. I would be like, I'm fine. Thank you. Like, don't ask me to be a part of the royal family if that's part of it. I feel like it'd be like Mar- Margaret Thatcher in her like in her outfit. I'm, I'm literally Margaret Thatcher, like walking around the like 
wetlands of Scotland in a fabulous pantsuit. <laughs> okay, wait. What does everyone think about me? I feel like Don't I would cry the whole time. Um, I think that you would do well. You think so? Sam, I'd love to hear how you think you would do on the Balmoral test. I think you would do well. I, I think that people would sense your fear. Yes. Okay, I'm literally a six. We all know this. So I'm literally afraid of everything at all times. I just want everyone to be happy and I want people to make decisions for me. So I feel like I would do good because literally everyone's just telling me what to do. Um, And I would thrive in that environment because I could literally just be like turned off and do whatever everyone else wants. (laughs) Um, I aim to please because I'm scared. (laughs) But yeah, I think you would do a good job. So now that we're all talking about the Queen and Diana, I think it's a great, like, said a great transition to um question six which is when thinking about the queen and diana what do you think about the queen's treatment of princess diana throughout season four especially when diana was begging for help and do you think her emotional apathy towards diana and her children speaks to her as a person or is just a side effect of her position i mean I think much like how Philip is like the absolute worst to Charles. <laughs> um, I think that the queen just as a byproduct of her circumstances as queen, she, again, I think I said this in, in the first question, but I, I think she has to remind herself that everything that she does is inherently polit- political. She, um, everything is going to be judged. Everything is going to be seen as um the the whole country doing something the whole country shifting so she has to be um this kind of stone wall <laughs> of any kind of emotion towards people and i think she's especially confronted by her emotions when nelly's uncle michael fagan came into the castle <laughs> and infiltrated her room simply not my uncle but i could kind of see myself being like if like once you get in being like ah i could do that again Hot take. No, but I, I do think I would be like, I just want to talk. <laughs> the way he was. <laughs> like, why did I low-key feel for him? I don't know. Maybe since <laughs> we share a last name. He's a Fagin. A Fagin. I don't think the queen shows much much empathy towards Diana because that's how she was with her children, like raising them. And so they know not to go for her for any understanding or for any empathy but here comes diana and she's like oh well the queen is you know my soon-to-be husband's mother like maybe she'll take pity on me and that's just honey i'm sorry that's not how it works and it sucks it's so sad to watch um i also think that the queen herself i mean you know we've talked about like the cycle of abuse or even just lack of emotion um like she was always raised that she wasn't allowed to show emotion and so when she was diana's age she wasn't showing any emotion and she was kind of taking orders from the royal family on how she needed to act and what she needed to do to fulfill her um duties as a royal uh when she was diana's age it was as the king's daughter but then obviously not not long after she got married and her dad died and she became the queen at a very young age. Um, So I think she kind of has this condescension towards Diana of look like this is like the big leagues. You can't be this emotional and that's not how it's done. So um, I think it's, I think it's kind of, I guess, I guess if the question is, do we think um, that her emotional apathy, like the queen's emotional apathy, speaks to her as a person or as a side effect of her position? I think they're kind of intertwined because she has always, her, her as a person has always been a position. Um, obviously, not her entire life, but I mean, well, yes, her entire life. She's always been a member of the royal family. Um, and then, especially in her teenage to young 20s, um like when you're kind of really discovering who you are as a person that was pretty stifled um by her royal duties 
so I I think she is emotionally apathetic as a person but that is because that's how she was she was raised to be a royal I think um, also too what you're saying really speaks to kind of the difference in which the two of them like their upbringing and how Diana was raised outside of the royal family like as a as a I don't know just a normal person I guess I I mean and I think that having to make the transition to the royal family versus like being born into it I do think that this might be kind of a hot take but I do think that like the queen's emotional apathy towards Diana is an element of jealousy just because Diana really gets to be all the things that the queen like never could be um in the sense that like she can have emotion and I think that this emotion is forgiven a little bit more because she was like I keep wanting to say like mortal which I guess is the case because like the the queen is um like a godly like being or whatever and so is technically like immortal but that's not this is sounding very like fantasy-esque when I say it that way but I do think that like because like Diana is so beloved and beloved like because of and in spite of kind of the position she takes on things the queen's perspective is valued but she's still expected to remain objective and I think that there is a component of jealousy present there in the sense that like Diana can also like dive really dive into being a mother and and very much uh prioritize those emotions in the way that the queen couldn't and I think that there is whether it's like fully acknowledged an element of jealousy there which also just speaks to like women's dynamics with one another and when when I think like of course the queen takes the position that she does because that's the way things are I do think there could have been a little bit of like camaraderie between them more so than there was especially with the ways in which Diana was so and like this will continue into season five of course but like the ways in which Diana was so I don't know for lack of a better word like desecrated by the family I have a hot take and I don't know know. I guess we'll just see what um y'all think about it so kind of as I said in the previous answer I've always been team Diana obviously um still am that that's not changing but as I said before having context made more sense about um, Charles and kind of why he did what he did. And I also think if this was like a very cheesy romance novel from Charles and Camilla's perspective, we would be on their side. Like, yeah, we would feel bad for Diana, but like I was watching it and I was like, I feel like a lot of people use similar plot points for like stories about like a a couple that wants to be together and can't because of family or whatnot and then ends up being together in the end and also I read an article and apparently Camilla is like a really funny and well-liked individual um Kate Middleton allegedly always wants to sit next to her at family parties which I thought was really interesting because we paint Camilla in this like bad light but you know, she was just a woman who wasn't allowed to be with the person she loves, and that's I agree. Kind of oh, Emily Camilla. has a take. I would no. I just want to piggyback off of that and say justice for Camilla, because everyone kind of puts her as the villain against Diana when that's really not the case. And she tried. She like extended an olive branch to Diana. I really don't think there was. I mean, it's hard to say there was no, like, beef between them. Obviously, Camilla was sleeping with Diana's husband, but that's on Which Charles. is wrong. And that's that's on, on Charles, family. Too. It is on Charles's family. And Charles, mm-hmm. specifically. And Charles, specifically. and Because he had a duty, and his mom, Camilla has like, been so unfairly treated. And she seems like a lovely lady, and I think people always blame her for, for Diana and, like, her kind of expulsion in the end the divorce but you know really it was a full expulsion for the the royal family no Uh, I think that that is an important point to raise and I do think that like my internalized misogyny reared its ugly head when I was like fuck Camilla like I was like "Mm -hmm." like it's so easy to do that because like you said Pete I I do think the crown does a good job of of showing this really from Diana's perspective specifically and 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 to a certain extent Charles's perspective even though that's a very ugly perspective, in my opinion, we don't necessarily get like Camilla's like 
point of view unless we like choose to if that makes sense so I do think that like that is such an important point to raise and I'm glad you did because I think my bias is like justice for Diana when ultimately it's really justice for the two of them because they were both so poorly mistreated by the family as a whole regardless of how I mean how Charles behaved is like atrocious overall in my opinion and I think he's a very like unhealthy person but also again like we said that is a product of like the toxic masculinity that's so embedded both in like our society but particularly in that family as well and just generational um trauma that really like the men in that family have endured um from their fathers in particular um well I was gonna that wasn't even my hot take my hot take technically I know um my hot take wasn't even justice for Camilla it's more like when watching this, I was trying to pin blame on someone for Diana's misfortune. Um, and I was like, it's Charles's fault. But then it's like, well, it's really his family's fault because if they let him marry Camilla, none of this would have happened. But then I just kind of, like, in my opinion, I think I'm going to put blame on the monarchy because it creates an unhealthy expectation for humans and I don't think like yes the queen has been doing this for 70 years but as we just talked about this whole podcast like I don't think it's healthy for a human to like bite down on their emotions so hard and like to the point where they have an unhealthy relationship with their husband they have an unhealthy relationship with their children and it creates this cycle of trauma on Charles on Diana on William and Harry like and I mean, I, I'm obsessed with the royal family now because of this, but, like, I have a hard time not respecting them, but being able to be like, oh, this is a great thing. This monarchy is great because as we're witnessing it, it has its, like, really awful things that it's creating in these relationships. And so my hot take is, like, in order to – who to blame in all this, I would blame on this monarchy that we've required these people to continue to live through and be examples of. And that's my hot take. Okay, do y'all want to hear another hot take? Always. Um, so my hot take is obviously I love Diana. Obviously, I felt so bad for her by how she was treated. Um, but I do think, like you see in the first episode, or not the first episode, but the episode where she goes to Balmoral and she's like, oh yeah, I'm like a country countryside girl like I hate the city life whatever but then the rest of the um season you kind of see that she actually prefers the city life and that she was really playing into trying to become a royal so she like really wanted to be in the royal family it's just obviously she did not know how messed up it is (laughs) how how it is not just like a princess life it is work and you don't get I mean, you get a little bit of glam, enough glam, but you you don't really get the full the full glam that the queen gets. And didn't people say Diana told people she was like, "I'm gonna marry Prince Charles." Yeah, her her um her roommate when she was little, like like in her family, they called her Dutch because like short for <sighs> Duchess, because they were like, "Oh, she wants to be like," and and they were a very like, you know, high society, high nobility, whatever family, but they were like, always, they always joked that Diana wanted to jump the ranks and, um, become a royal. She was able to do, but I I do think it's worth mentioning that, um, I think, I mean, she was young, she was 19, she was naive and, Charles and the royal family just sank their teeth into that naive, naive, naivety, naivety, naivete, naivete. Um, Sam, do you want to add anything before we probably move on to our last question? Yeah, I mean, just to to talk about Diana a little bit more. I I also think that the the dynamics of the crown and, and the monarchy forces them to not again be humans, so they're not able to take care of their mental health. I mean, we, we, I mean, big, 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 big trigger warning for anyone that is considering watching The Crown, especially season four. Um, there is a lot of um, discussions and, and 
physical scenes of um, a bulimia and, and eating disorders. Um, so she's struggling with that throughout the entire show and even just in, in her real life, like she was constantly struggling with bulimia. And every time that she tried to get um, like some sort of sympathy, which I think was well-deserved, um, Charles and everyone else just kind of were so passive to her and so and, and so apathetic. And I just like, and and we see that with Princess Margaret, like she is constantly struggling with the like dark history of um, of the crown and the monarchy, um, especially with the episode about um, her finding out about their cousins. Um, that was really hard to watch, <laughs> and I was really really sad and really really frustrated. And I think it goes back to what Pate said is that I think at the root of it, I'm frustrated more with the monarchy than I am with the family because they are the product of that monarchy. They're, they're forced into it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's just ugh, so hard, but it's yeah. Frustrating. Anyway. Well, I know we could talk about this literally forever and there's so many things that like we haven't even been able to touch on. Um, but I do think it's time for us to delve into our final question. I do think this could be an opportunity to share about other components of the show that we haven't gotten a chance to really talk about, but the age old question, here we go, is the crown feminist? I would, even though I just gave that hot take about how I blame monarchy for all of their troubles i would ultimately say yes because it does showcase like a real life uh woman in power and her struggles and her successes i don't think it necessarily like not glorify the bad components that we see in the monarchy and in the show but i just think the realness of allows us to kind of appreciate it more and understand this like woman ruler who's been ruling for years 70 something 60 66 years oh I thought it was gonna be 70 um anyways like I would ultimately say yes it's feminist because basically I think the queen is badass I don't necessarily agree with everything she does and how she copes with things but I think she's a powerful woman ruler and really important to our lifetime and um even if I don't agree with the monarchy and how they like promote people to act I still think it's empowering and I still think it's feminist but I am very curious to hear what y'all think because I'm more than interested to like I could definitely change my answer I'm not gonna like die on the hill that the crown is feminist um, but these are just like the first things that come to mind so I agree that the crown is feminist because um, I think that sometimes when you think about a queen or a princess you think about someone who lounges around and eats bonbons and like gets her nails done and whatever and I think this show really humanizes um how hard it is and I mean obviously they have like all the money in the world so that it's like hard to have pity but at the same time it is a really 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 tough job your entire life like your personhood is taken away um especially for Queen Elizabeth and I think the show does a great job of like showing how she has always needed to put her job first um, and how hard it's been for her, especially like during the time when she came into power, which was like in the forties, how, you know, she was the most powerful woman in the world when every other woman in the world wasn't, didn't have any power outside of the home or even really inside the home, if we're being honest. so I think that it's feminist because it shows even though she does not make the most morally sound decisions, that's a key. I'm not like agreeing that she has made all these um, pro-woman choices, I guess, especially in the case of Diana, obviously. 
but I do think it the show as a whole is a feminist work because um it shows her entire personhood more more so um than you get just from observing her in a day-to-day life or or thinking about oh the queen of england oh she just you know rides her horses and is rich which are both true things but um i think it kind of shows how complicated being the queen is Wayne. Wayne. um i'll go next hmm. Um, I think that The Crown is feminist because it allows for voices that are otherwise stifled to be in the spotlight. Um, we really get to see the humanity of these people and just see how frustrating it is um, to be in a family where you have to keep this idea of monarchy and the crown alive for this um, country. And the the struggle and the cost of their own independence and any real human connection that they're able to make and uh any sort of life with emotional depth or like real humanity um when you have to be the physical embodiment of a country it's a hard burden to carry um and i i just i i i I empathize but i or i sympathize i guess but i also i don't know it's 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 just it's so hard but i i think the show itself is feminist because of um because it is showing what it what it is like to be royalty um especially in contemporary times yeah i agree that like the show itself is feminist um because or like a work of feminist history just because of the ways in which it highlights the monarchy of the queen and like the longest reigning monarchy in history um, and also just like delving into the nitty gritty and like the flawed components of the crown. I do think like highlighting that in itself is feminist, but at the same time, I like, don't think this is like why I'm has like, I-, I do think my answer is ultimately yes, but I'm hesitant about that because I don't think like the monarchy itself is feminist other than the fact that like there can be a queen, but like really like we see the ways in which it isn't just in like the lack of education that like Queen Elizabeth gets, I think compared to like, from what I understood, her father had a lot more understanding of like, of politics and was educated more on that. Um, And I think that was because he was a man ultimately. And, um, and I just think like the, the ways in which in particular, well, really the ways in which all people like regardless of gender within the family are, um, expected to suppress their emotions and also just like their, their desires Um, to me is that is like kind of inherently anti-feminist just to like have to suppress your own desire. Um, And I think we see that so much with, I I am disappointed we didn't have more time to talk about her, but like Princess Margaret, um, I love her. She's such a complicated character, but I do stand. And I think that like her, her her storyline in particular shows the the ways in which someone can feel so powerless in that family and also just like not even powerless like genuinely like without value like she just ultimately is is waiting to die is like essentially the 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 storyline of hers so i think the show is feminist and and is amazing and i recommend it to anyone listening if you've not watched and you've somehow made it to this part of the podcast you've gotten a lot of spoilers but like if you haven't watched, you should watch. Um, it's also not spoiled because it's history. Right. And so I think it's more so seeing how the show... Read a book. Like, highlights hmm. this. Yeah, exactly. Read a book. God. Okay. Um, read a book. I, but... Read a book. I just want to um, shout out my Instagram queen, Elizabeth Holmes. Not the same Elizabeth Holmes. It's the creepy Theranos one, but... This other Elizabeth Holmes um, and her Instagram man- handles at at sign E Holmes. And she does this amazing breakdown of like whenever the royal family, modern day royal family, um, has any public engagements. Like she does this whole breakdown of like why they chose to war, chose to wear what they wore. Um, and it's super, super interesting. I've learned a lot of history from it and it's just super interesting about how, um, the Royal family is like 
their fashion choices are one of the few ways that they can um, make a statement or make a message, send a message. Um, so I would recommend that as a royal follow. Okay, so I guess now is a great time to go on to our action items. Sam, do you want to start us off? Because you're at the top of the list. I do, actually. <laughs> great. Um, first, I want to shout out um, to my actual fathers, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, for flipping my home state, Illy. I love them. Um, <laughs> but... When, when we talk about these people, we also have to talk about the women who got us here. So I want to shout out all the women and the organizations who are part of this flip that was 15 years in the making. Um, I think if you're passionate about fighting national voter suppression, voter engagement, um, not fighting voter engagement, getting people to vote, um, and the Peach State, uh, I highly recommend looking into the following people. Um, first, Fair Fight with Stacey Abrams and Lauren Grow Wargo. Um, they are the founders and CEOs of Fair Fight. Um, New Georgia Project with Nisi Ufat. Um, Pro Georgia, Tamika Atkins. Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, Helen Butler. Black Voters Matter Fund, Latasha Brown. Georgia Stand Up, Deborah Scott. Queen, U.S. Congressman, Nakima Williams. Fair Count. Rebecca Dayhart, Asian Americans Advancing Justice, Stephanie Cho, Mi Gente, which is by Tania Carrasco. Um, don't drag me for that. Um, Karen Action, YT Bell, Way to Win, Tori Gavito, Queen Political Organizer, Felicia Davis, and Southwest Georgia Project for Community Education, Melanie Campbell. Yes. That's a list, baby a list baby and we love all of them uh my resource is based off of election anxiety um and also anxiety that might have arised from the attempted coup um i just remember on the day election night i was so anxious and even the day after and it would have really been nice to have these resources I think it's great for just like in the future anything that has to deal with political anxiety um i know we kind of joked about this last episode but headspace apparently has a really good resource for election anxiety as well as um i think it's an app or a website called 10 percent happier and specifically have something that's um for election anxiety and not even election anxiety, just I guess politics anxiety and anxiety in general. So I would just recommend that and also make sure that you take care of yourself, um, you know, with the inauguration coming up and everything of that sort. So love you. Take care of yourself. Don't be like the queen. Um, yeah. And I just want to reiterate um, last week's action items because obviously there's still shit going down in DC um, and that will continue, I think, beyond the inauguration, unfortunately. So I do just want to plug the people that are doing positive work there and work for justice. Um, so I'm just going to name those again. And um, we've posted these on our Instagram. And also um, in our last episode, we kind of delved more into them. But just wanting to plug the Palm Collective, uh, Medics for Justice, and um, Frontline Women DC. Well, anyways, I work for Quarter Point and Special Advocates. Um, if you're interested in advocating for a kid in foster care, it's a nationwide thing. Obviously, I work in Grundy County in Tennessee, but um, wherever you are, there's probably a local CASA. And if you're interested in doing that type of work, you should definitely look into it. Sorry, it's not political, but um, it's important. It is political. Inherently. It doesn't have to be. Advocacy inherently. is political. It's good. Yeah. True. But thank you for doing that work, Emily, and for sharing that resource with us. Um, and thank you to Sam for sharing the long list of resources you did share because we stand Georgia. Florida. Um, I would like to plug the theory that Nellie is related to Michael Fagan. Um, they have similar noses, I think, when I was looking at some pictures. Uh, I definitely think that it's a strong possibility and we all need to consider it. Um, I have not looked at his nose, but I feel like that's an insult. 
You have a pretty nose. She do be pointy. <laughs> but thank you. Um, perhaps I am related to him. Like I said, I have a small portion of British blood in me. And the other portion is Ireland. So it's all ru- ruled by the monarchy. Shall we all talk in British accents? Yeah. Go. We fully de- derail this conversation. Emily, remember when we lived together? We used to get to we used to get to speak in British accents to each other all the time. I know it was so lovely all living together in Humphreys, and then we would go to the Bishop's Common and see Sam. Um, I really miss our days together, and I eagerly await a time when. We are all reunited. How lovely, way. Emily. Oh my gosh, I can't. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> I don't know. British accent has actually taken kind of a toll because I've gotten really into Australian accents. Yeah, I can hear some Australian tinge in there. I've been yeah. watching a lot of Love Island UK, so I feel oh, like my... Love Island. Yeah. I'm going to stick to my point. Alabama accent. It just came out when I was like, like oh my gosh. Oh my, oh my gosh. Um bless her heart. Bless that queen's heart. Bless that queen. Does anyone have a quote or do you want me to say one? There's one that I found just like in a quick Google search that was from the from Queen Elizabeth II, our queen. Let them eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> um where and you she said, <laughs> Oh my god. No, he's like, shut up. It's kind of a sad True. quote considering the lack of, like, say. She has a ton of say, but she also can't take too staunch a position on anything. But I think that that is an important quote that kind of encapsulates the a lot of the themes of the show that we've talked about today. So it might be a good wrap-up. So history was not made by those who did nothing. Queen Elizabeth II. I wish we could, I feel like we could keep talking for like another like five hours, but. I mean, Sam and I could literally talk for days. Um, And I could talk to the two of you for days and to Pate, obviously. It's been evident that I can talk to Pate for a very long time. There's literal evidence of it, so. Maybe like when season five comes out. No, we should do another. And then maybe we can really delve into the, oh, it's going to be sad. Oh my gosh, Sam. Someone call Prince Philip. Okay, this has been Feminist Fiends and Quarantine Queens. Bye. 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 Thanks, Emily and Sam. Ooh. I love y'all. Love y'all. Ta.